Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. Today we have an amazing guest named Carol Prukoff. And Carol is one of the preeminent yoga therapists that has unlocked the key to entering into the Western medical system as a yoga therapist. She is at the Duke University Integrative Medicine Center. And she and a colleague named Kimberly Carson have created the Integrative Yoga for Seniors Professional Training. Carol, in this podcast, talks about the silver tsunami, which basically means we have a very aging population, at least here in the United States. And when people come to yoga class that are over 65, there are so many things that we need to be aware of. We can't just have a 200-hour yoga teacher training and think that we're going to be able to help mitigate risk, give a safe practice, and provide all the benefits that yoga has to provide. For example, Carol spends a lot of time talking about how she set up the program at Duke Medical Center in a safe way including doctors and physical therapists, how she really organically step-by-step learned what she needed to know. Because in the beginning, she didn't even know how to work with people over 65. And so over many decades, she's figured it out step-by-step by working with a team of people in an integrative medicine center. I think this interview will be very motivating to some of you. I mean, there's a lot of people, both yoga teachers and yoga therapists that just want to get into a hospital system so they can have a full-time job with healthcare benefits and a possibly a 401k. And I don't think people realize the steps that someone like Carol had to take over many decades to make this happen, that we're actually not there yet with having yoga in medical or hospital settings. Now, I think that's going to change. As Carol and I talk about in this interview, the research is starting to show that yoga has a positive impact for older adults on cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, high blood pressure, sleep problems, depression, and back pain. We have the research to support that now. And if we can get really qualified yoga therapists and yoga teachers to understand the risks of an aging population around osteoporosis, around heart disease, around people pushing too hard and having a striving mentality, if we can mitigate some of those risks, we can help people have better physical health, but also mental, emotional health spiritual connection. We can reduce isolation. There's so many positive things that yoga can do. And I think when doctors out there and nurses and administrators of hospitals see all the positive benefits that can happen in the biopsychospiritual realms as a result of practicing yoga, how could they say no to that? <laughs> so I think we will all look back at Carol as one of the main pioneers that was able to figure out a way to get into the system and do it well and start this yoga for seniors professional training, helping others understand how to do it well also. So it's with great admiration and respect that I introduce you to our guest today. 
Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. The Yoga Therapy Hour is here to support you on your mental, emotional, and spiritual journey. We talk about things like nervous system regulation, spiritual connection, how to be more involved in your community, how to communicate well, how to manage your mental health. There are so many things that we are excited to share with you in season five of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. And we hope that you will share it with your friends, family, colleagues. All right, let's get into today's episode. Today on the podcast, I'm happy to welcome Carol Krukoff, who is our guest. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Amy. I'm delighted to be here. So, Carol, you work at Duke Integrative Medical Center, and you are the primary and only yoga therapist in the integrative medicine department, I understand. Is that right? Well, actually, in the whole hospital system. So, they made a special entry, the Duke Health Organization has a special entry in the medical record system for yoga therapy, and that was made for me. So I'm really delighted that I can represent yoga therapy and be a yoga therapist here in the Duke Medical System. And how long have you been doing this? Duke Integrative Medicine opened its doors in 2007. So it is a freestanding integrative medicine facility, which is really an amazing facility. We have acupuncturists, massage therapists, we have integrative medicine practitioners, primary care docs, and nutritionists. So it's really a whole health, whole person center. And when we opened in 2007, I was very grateful to be invited to be the yoga therapist here. So that's when I started. Wow, you're really on the cutting edge. I mean, I think we all hope that one day We'll have yoga therapists in every hospital in the United States and beyond. Well, particularly then, back in 2007, it was relatively unheard of to have yoga therapy in a health system. So when it came time to do charting, which we do you know, on the computer, they had to create a whole new category for yoga therapy for this particular offering. And you and your co-director, Kimberly Carson, you created a program called Integrative Yoga for Seniors Professional Training. Do you think that helped you to get in the door or were you already in the door when you created that professional training? Well, I was actually already in the door when we created the training. The building itself is a really remarkable, architecturally award-winning facility. And the beginning staff was trying to come up with ways, how can we use this really amazing state-of-the-art facility to further the cause of integrative health and integrative medicine? And at that time, I had been working with older adults and people with health conditions, as had Kimberly, and felt a strong need to get more training and information for myself about what do I do if I have a patient who just had bypass surgery or someone who has an artificial hip or artificial joints. And so Kimberly also been offering yoga in medical settings. And wouldn't it be great to create some kind of training where we brought in doctors from the Duke healthcare system and other health professionals. So we have physicians, health psychologists, physical therapists, 
And wouldn't it be great if we had them offer their expertise and tell us what we need to know about some of the conditions that we're working with? What does Western medicine have to say about movement considerations for this population? So we decided to try a three-day weekend to see if anyone would show up. I've got to credit also my husband, Mitch, is a cardiologist here at Duke, and I would come to him with questions. Oh, I've got a client who has atrial fibrillation. Is there anything I should think of? This sort of thing. And Kimberly and Mitch and I were kind of thinking about this training. On that original three-day weekend, we had Mitch on the faculty talking about heart disease, and I believe Kathy Shipp also came talking about osteoporosis because that was another area where we were finding that there were significant risks that were posed by very common yoga practices. So Kathy and Mitch were our medical faculty for the weekend. We wondered if anybody would show up. When we filled up, we had 40 people, which was our capacity. And what everybody said is just wasn't enough. We need more. We need more. So over the years, that was 2007, we started out as a three-day weekend training workshop. We tried a five-day model, and what we have evolved and where we are now is we do an eight-day, very intensive, on-site professional training here. We have staff of seven Duke faculty members who talk about what we consider the most common conditions for older adults. My husband, Mitch, still talks about cardiology. Kathy Shipp is retired, but Laura Natrust is a wonderful physical therapist specializing in osteoporosis. We have someone who talks about arthritis and Alzheimer's and dementia, lung disease. And then Kimberly and I have worked the arrangement where we offer a way to integrate what these Western docs have told us about what might be risky and what might be beneficial for our senior students, for our older adult students. So that's where we are today. And this coming up at the end of November, beginning of December will be the first time we've done an in-person training since the pandemic. So we're so excited to be coming back in person. Prior to the pandemic, it had been an annual training. And during the pandemic, we did one virtual training. But now we're back. Duke has dropped the mask mandates. And, you know, we're really excited about offering this in person again. Congratulations. Feels good to come back and be in community again in real time mm -hmm. with real people. Sure so what I just really loved about what you had said is this kind of developed organically. I mean, I hear so many people that kind of have an idea and they get really far along with the planning and with the, you know, it's going to be this great big program only to have it fall flat. And I really like what you did, which is, okay, there's a need here. We're teaching yoga to elderly adults and we want to make sure they're safe. And okay, let's bring this person out. Oh, I guess we need one of those. Well, let's start with a small one. And oh, that was successful. Let's build it to a little bigger. And now it's eight days, right? I think that organic process from the inside out where you're just getting real-time feedback and shifting to the needs of the clients in front of you, that's what makes a potent program. Well, you know, they say you teach what you need to learn. I had never intended to be a specialist in yoga for seniors. I never intended to be a yoga teacher or a yoga therapist. My original training is in journalism. 
I was the original founding editor of the health section of the Washington Post. And my particular niche within journalism was science writing because I was very interested in, particularly in physical activity and health. <laughs> I was at the Post in the 70s, back when we used typewriters. When I started at the Post, we used typewriters. That's how old I am. Ben Bradley was my editor. Catherine Graham was the publisher. And I started my yoga practice in my 20s because I developed really bad neck pain. When we converted to computers, they had no ergonomic sensibility. And I developed very bad neck pain. And my yoga practice for my 20s and 30s was just a weekly class that was an oasis of calm in my life. And things really transitioned for me. And, you know, I became much more involved with yoga therapy. We moved from Washington to North Carolina when my husband, Mitch, who's the doctor at Duke, got a job here. And there was a wonderful yoga teacher training offered by Esther Myers, mm. who was an amazing woman. I took my teacher training back in 1999 was when it started. It was a two-year, 700-hour program. And there were only a handful of yoga teacher trainings in the country. My first book was coming out, Healing Moves, How to Cure, Relieve, and Prevent Common Ailments with Exercise. I thought it might be a good credential for my book to have a yoga teacher. And it was an amazing opportunity. There were no yoga teacher trainings in Durham, North Carolina. And here this very amazing teacher was coming over the course of two years, I thought I would deepen my practice. As part of that training, Esther required us to do community service. Mm. Uh, we had to do 12 hours of community service. So for my community service, my husband Mitch at the time was director of the cardiac catheterization lab at the Durham VA Medical Center. So by now this was 2000 because it was a two year program. It was a long 700 hour program. And they had a program there at the Durham VA called Gerafit, which is the Gerontology Rehabilitation Program, where they did aerobics and strength training. And I had to volunteer somewhere, and I heard about this program. I said, well, can I volunteer and teach yoga to these seniors? Because it was for geriatric patients. And they said, well, we can't pay you. And I said, that's fine. I have to do community service. And I thought I really was just going to do 12-week community service and leave. I wound up volunteering there for five years because it was such a profound experience. I walked into that room, and they were mostly men because it was a VA. In their 60s, 70s, 80s, there were a few women. People had had bypass surgery. They had diabetes. They had shrapnel. I mean, so many different things. And I took one look at my students, and I thought, I am so at my death. I'm so afraid that I'm good. I don't know what to do. I sure can't teach them sun salutations. So I asked if I could just watch what they were already doing. And as part of their program, they had calisthenics. And I watched their calisthenics program. And they did things like they got on all fours and they did something they called hump and slump, hump and slump. And the light bulb went off in my head and I said, okay, they're already doing cat-cow. They were doing bridge. They were doing dandasana. They were doing cobra. There were certain elements from their calisthenics program that I recognized. I thought if they're already doing that and it was in a, it was at a hospital, there was a nurse present, there was a crash cart. 
I added awareness. I added breathing. I added a nice juicy Shavasana and my students loved it. They just loved it. And I was hooked. I became the yoga lady. Again, I volunteered there for five years and I just found this to be so rewarding. And I knew that I needed more training. That was really the origins. I really wanted to learn and there just wasn't anything out there. At that time in the early 2000s, there were maybe three yoga therapy programs in the country and nothing that specialized in seniors. And I knew from my work as a journalist that the population is aging. They call it the silver tsunami. The senior demographic is the fastest growing demographic in the country and in the world. And there's, you know, just an explosion of older adults. The need is huge. And we really wanted to fill that need. And when I started doing this program, I was in my mid 40s and now I'm 69. (laughs) So I am not only a senior, I'm the grandmother of five. So I've lived it. And my practice has changed dramatically through what I've learned and through the experiences I've had over the years. Wow, there's so much goodness in that story. (laughs) Starting with being a yoga teacher who realized, wow, there's so many health concerns that I don't feel comfortable with. And I think that's why most people enter into the journey of becoming a yoga therapist because they're like, I need more training. 200 hours is just the basics. It's just not enough. And then your willingness to say, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I can figure this out. And I trust myself enough to find the right people and to observe. I love what you said about you just observe the calisthenics class. I think that is such a important lesson to have the willingness to be humble enough to just observe what they're already doing and start there, adding in the yoga tools of awareness and breath work and a nice juicy Shavasana. There's so much wisdom in what you're saying and willingness to just take it step by step. And then how many years later you're working at Duke Integrative Medicine as the only yoga therapist. It's kind of a remarkable story, actually. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it was not really a planned evolution. I was following my heart and following my passions. And as a journalist specializing in health, I read medical articles. I mean, I had been writing a syndicated column for the Washington Post, LA Times News Service for over 10 years, and had a lot of what I worked on, the whole theme of my column was exercise science and physical activity, health connection. You know, back in the 70s, when I first started at the Post and started doing this, It was a very different culture surrounding physical activity. It was just starting to be understood how beneficial physical activity was for health. But there are so many misconceptions. You know, you go for the burn, and now, of course, we know that that's not necessarily the best way to go. But my journalism career followed the evolution of the science. So I've always had strong respect for the science and just my own yoga practice, knowing how transformative that has been and how helpful and a big transition i think for me and for seniors in general is recognizing that the yoga practice is about much more than asana i try never to use the word exercise 
when I talk about yoga, I will have clients come in and saying, oh, those exercises you gave me. And I say, you know, I like to call them practices because they're about more than the physical body. And then things that have happened to me in my life. At 54, I had open heart surgery because I was born with a congenital valvular abnormality. I was born with a bicuspid aortic valve, which I had always known about because when the doctor put a stethoscope on my heart, they'd kind of turn green and says, anybody told you you have a heart murmur? That I never had any restrictions from that valve, but I had it monitored. I mean, I was always very active. I used to be a regular runner. When my kids were little, we trained together in karate. I have a second degree black belt. I've broken concrete with my hands and my feet. So I've always been very active, but at 54, my valve had become stenotic, so it had narrowed. And it had also created an aneurysm, which like a bicycle tire that's about to blow. It's a defect in the vessel for all those years of this malformed valve hitting against the aorta. So having open heart surgery at age 54 was pretty darn eye-opening. And I have a bovine valve, which is now, let's see, going on about 18 years old. <laughs> These valves don't last forever. So that changed my yoga practice pretty dramatically. I had been an Ashtanga yogi, very into a very vigorous physical practice. I was not your typical cardiac rehab patient, but I went through cardiac rehab and was grateful to be, you know, four months after my surgery, teaching the spring session of integrative yoga for seniors professional training with a lot of help from my teachers and my yoga practice. You know, that brings me to this quote that you wrote, that yoga may hold the key to delayed aging. And also the things that happen beyond the strength and flexibility and balance. I think that's how so many people and probably older adults get into it, thinking I want to have fall prevention and keep my bones strong and keep flexible. But you also mentioned the emotional health positive things like changing of mood enhancing of sleep, and connecting to one's true nature. So tell us a little bit about the benefits for aging adults beyond the physical. You know, there's so much that the yoga toolkit offers to older adults. Um, in some ways, I really think it is kind of the perfect practice for older adults because yes, it is physical activity. And we all know that we need to be more physically active. So we get the benefits of physical activity and yoga practice counts. Some people say, well, is it really enough for aerobics? And, and yes, it really counts as a moderate physical activity, which is very important because most people, unfortunately, in our culture are quite sedentary. So you've got the physical benefits, but in addition to that, there's just so much more. There's the emotional regulation that comes from the breathing practices and the meditation. So that can help so much with any kind of emotional aspects. Anxiety has been huge. I'm sure you know in the last couple of years, it's hard to, I don't think I've seen a client who hasn't reported concerns with anxiety and depression. So emotional regulation, sleep can help so much with sleep and sleep disturbances are so common with older adults. And the principles, I think some of the least appreciated parts of the practice principles like contentment and gratitude, 
can be so transformative for, in our culture, our really toxic emotions. So we know, and the science is very strong, that certain emotions, in particular, anger and hostility, increase the risk of heart disease. So people who have an angry nature or hostility are more likely to get heart disease, are more likely to do poorly from any kind of cardiovascular intervention. The yoga practice is not just about what you do, but it's about how you do it. So learning to treat yourself and others with a sense of kindness, to focus on what's right instead of always focusing on what's wrong. The yoga principles are so important. And then, of course, the community, the sangha, is a key part of the practice. And we know that loneliness and isolation is a risk factor for heart disease on par with smoking cigarettes. I think the Surgeon General just released a very interesting report recently, and I'm sure it's gotten worse since COVID, that there's really an epidemic of loneliness. So the yoga practice offers seniors so much. And one of the most beneficial parts of the practice is in helping people kind of reorient and relearn a new way to approach movement. We come from such a strivy society, people always pushing themselves, and I want to give 110% and they're, you know, they're do, 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 do. And of course, the yoga practice is about balance. It's about balancing the doing with the undoing. It's about balancing being courageous, but also being cautious, both at the same time and helping people learn that they can move to a point of challenge, but not strain. When they learn that on the mat and then they take that off the mat, it can be really transformative. I think that is such a big one. I don't know about you, but going into my 50s now, I just cannot work out like I used to. And I used to be <laughs> one of those drivers and I will injure myself every time. And I agree with you that yoga has shown me to work at my 60 to 70% of maximum. And that will grow over time. You will see magnificent improvements, but you don't have to go to 80 or 90% and get injured and, and kind of relearning that what feels like an easy practice to me is actually exactly what my body needs. You know, uh, simple is the new strong. It's so important to recognize how to move with kindness and compassion. So many of the people I work with, it's a brand new experience. In our culture, I think many people live from the neck up. We're in our heads all the time. We don't notice what's going on in our body until something's really wrong. You know, it has to shout to get our attention. And the yoga practice, of course, teaches us how to be present in our body and to notice maybe those little small sensations that we might not have paid attention to. And then to relax. Sometimes we go deeper, not by doing, but by undoing, helping people learn how to let go of that chronic body armor, that muscle tension. There's so many, particularly older adults who have chronic pain, and as you know, a tendency is to tense around the site of the pain. Our poor bodies are just trying to protect ourselves. And many people aren't even aware that they're guarding. They're holding all this muscle tension and 
very often shoulders, neck, jaw. And the yoga practices can be a big awakening of, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that was there. How about that? Can I learn to relax that? Can I learn to let that go? When I do move, can I move to a point of challenge and not strain? I mean, I'll ask someone, a client, when we're working, I'll say, well, how does that feel? Does it hurt? And they'll pause and they'll, well, I said, I think it probably does hurt. They don't want to say it's okay to acknowledge what's happening. They don't have to need to impress me or anybody else. Just be present with what's there. Welcome whatever shows up, relax into it, and move to a point of challenge, but not strain. And the other skills we teach, like activity pacing, is huge for older adults. I find now that I'm 69, (laughs) going on 70, I can do a lot. And many of the things that I could do when I was much younger, I just need more recovery time. Mm. That's the truth of it for me. So I don't do two hard days in a row. I'll do hard easy. So learning how your body works and what is optimal. And I think kind of the secret sauce that we offer, particularly to older adults, is the invitation to relax. Yeah. We even called our book Relax into Yoga for Seniors because, again, we come from this very strivy, pushy, it's got to look a certain way, it's got to be a certain way, is this right kind of mentality, and just relax and trust what the yoga wisdom has tells us is that we are whole and complete just as we are. And can we touch into that? It's really not a workout, it's a work in. You know, when you say relax into yoga, I think people might be thinking, oh, does that mean we get to take a nap on the floor? But (laughs) what I think you're saying is no matter if it's a standing pose, a lying down pose, a seated posture, coordinated with breathing, mindful attention, and a softness and an ease, but there is still an alertness and an attention to detail. So I just think people listening, when you say relax into yoga, they may not even know what that could look or feel like. I think you've got it exactly right. As you know, the sutras say a yoga pose should be steady and comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, we're stable and alert. That relaxed movement, that kind of easeful movement is not something that people associate with any kind of physical practice. There is this misconception that it needs to really be hard. And yeah, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I mean, I loved doing handstands and the Ashtanga practice, and that may well be appropriate. And even within those practices, the imperative of steadiness and ease and the invitation to attention is still there. You know, it just depends on who's in front of you. We've been talking about all of this ability to age successfully and the emotional components, the sleep, the enhanced social connections, maybe even a spiritual connection. But there's quite a bit of research out there showing just how amazing yoga is 
for helping with real physical health problems like cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, correcting blood pressure, depression, back pain. It almost seems like panacea or some amazing thing that you do yoga and you get all these magical benefits. It has been very exciting to be in this field over the last several decades because there has just been, as you said, an explosion in the science supporting the therapeutic benefits of yoga. I do regular talks for the PA students and sometimes for the medical students. And I remember going to PubMed probably 20 years ago and searching yoga and coming up with a few thousand hits. And now there's so many more. I haven't done it recently, so I can't tell you the number, but there has been just an explosion. And when you go to clinicaltrials.gov, which is the repository for current ongoing trials, there are also so many trials supporting yogas, which is one of the real strong reasons why I felt strongly and so grateful to be working in the Duke University Health System, because I do think that if we're going to get yoga therapy into the mainstream, you've got to have the documentation. You have to have the science. There needs to be the evidence. This is an evidence-based culture and medical system. And now physicians are prescribing yoga to their patients for a variety of reasons because the evidence is there and it's continuing to emerge. And I've been very grateful to be a consultant on several research projects with physicians who are studying yoga's benefits. There's a group at Wake Forest University I've been working with. We did one, they used our Relax into Seniors program and they measured it against cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the state of the art for worried older adults. And the yoga practice was as effective as the cognitive behavioral therapy for reducing worry and relieving anxiety and improving sleep. So we were very excited to be. And uh, you get the positive physical health benefits at the same time. There you go. It's a complete package all in one. Well, as you were talking, I just went to PubMed and I put in the word yoga into the search just to see how many many articles would come up. And it's 7,794, starting with the famous article by Kramer, Yoga for Depression, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis, but over almost 8,000 just on this. Isn't that great? 20 years ago, there were maybe a thousand. It's just exploded. It's so exciting. Yeah. Okay. So what about the risk factors of doing yoga, especially for an aging population, what are the types of things we need to be really aware of when working with an older population? I'm so glad you asked that. (laughs) Thank you for asking that. So there are several commonly taught yoga practices that are just, in my opinion, and what the evidence would suggest, inadvisable for older adults. So one is forward bends with straight legs, so loaded flexion. So osteoporosis, which is low bone density, osteopenia, the medical community doesn't like to use the word osteopenia anymore, it's too confusing, but any kind of low bone density is extremely common. Something like 50% of 
white women will experience an osteoporotic fracture in their lifetime. And I say white women because Caucasians are at higher risk of osteoporosis. And it's not just women, it's also men have osteoporosis and other races do as well. However, it's more common in Caucasian and Asian populations. And certain things that we tend to do and that I used to do all the time in my practice and I don't do anymore, like Uttanasana, that standing, that swan dive forward, lift your kneecap, swan dive forward. When we first started working with the physical therapists and, you know, showed them some of the yoga moves, they would like, oh, you know, even for young people who have disc issues or problems, the first thing physical therapists will tell you that if you're going to pick up something off the floor, bend your knees. So standing forward bends and seated forward bends. Unfortunately, sitting is a more loaded position than standing. When you're sitting, it puts more load on the spine. So that can be very risky. So Paschimottanasana, loaded flexion, and end range rotation are the two big concerns with osteoporosis. And people who teach chair yoga very commonly, and I used to do it when I first started, I didn't know any different, I would teach cat-cow in a chair. So you'd have somebody purposely going into a slumped position in a chair, which puts people at risk of vertebral fracture. It's not a skillful choice. So the osteoporosis, that sort of covers it with osteoporosis. Those are the main highlights. And I know there may be gasping out there because when we teach this in the training, I mean, people go, I can't do Pashamudra, I can't do We don't tell people what they can or can't teach. We tell them what we do and what's risky and how to look at their student. A student might be able to do, say, a Janyushashasana with a neutral spine. It's going to be rare, but what are some other alternative? Why are you teaching that pose? And what's the intention? And what are some safer ways to reach that intention? That's the theme of this article that Kimberly and I have in the recent topics in geriatric rehabilitation, talking about how to safely modify based on the evidence. Another issue that comes up a lot is with heart disease. And with heart disease, breath holding can be very inadvisable. Mm. So it's not uncommon. (laughs) Clients come in and say, oh, I read on the internet, there's this great breathing where you inhale for this and then you hold for that and you exhale for that. When people hold their breath, it impacts their blood pressure. And if somebody has hypertension, that may not be the stress reduction breath they were looking for. I know that when I had my heart surgery and went through cardiac rehab, and after cardiac rehab, I went to my cardiologist, and I think I was probably the first patient he ever said, when can I go back to handstands? The only restriction I had was to avoid holding my breath and avoid the Valsalva maneuver. The Valsalva maneuver is where you hold your breath and bear down. So that's something that people often in the weight room, you'll hear people lifting weights and they, "Mm, mm." People also do the Valsalva maneuver, unfortunately, when they are on the toilet and straining. (laughs) And holding your breath and bearing down puts a lot of strain on the thoracic chamber and on the valves. 
So since I had this artificial valve and I would like to keep it for as long as I can and not have to have another heart surgery, I don't do any breath holding practices. I don't teach any breath holding practices. I don't think many yoga teachers are really aware of that. And I'm just thinking the amount of older adults with constipation that mm-hmm. might need to bear down to actually have a bowel movement. Are you saying that's ill-advised too? It is ill-advised to hold your breath and bear down. So mm-hmm. not an expert in constipation per se, but keep in the breath flowing. Do they really need to bear down? Could they have changed their diet? Are there other interventions, dietary stool softener, more hydration? Again, don't want to go out of my scope of practice. But what is within my scope of practice and what I can say with strong conviction is that the Valsalva maneuver, which is holding your breath while bearing down, it can be very problematic for the cardiovascular system. Wow. I'm just wondering if you could do the Valsalva maneuver without holding your breath, right? I'll have to try that later. Part and parcel. So what we try to teach is keep the breath flowing and comfortable. And when I teach breathing practices, I like to invite people to count the length of their inhalation and exhalation and whatever their count is fine and perhaps see what it would be like to extend the exhalation. I never tell people to count to four, count to 10, count to six, because when people are counting in their head, I try to not get judgy about this. Really teaching people breath awareness is huge. So many people just are not even aware of their breath or the fact that they hold their breath or that their breath is compromised. Just learning to notice their breath and to soften their breath and play with extending their breath can really be so useful for people. It's so interesting to me because as yoga therapists, we might do months and months of training on breath work and pranayama, but really when it boils down to what we do with clients, it's exactly what you said. Let's learn to observe the breath, lengthen it a little bit, maybe soften it, make it smooth. We really don't go to these big ratios. Oh, exactly. And that is one of our principles is to avoid extremes. And that includes extremes of breathing. So something like Kapalabhati, Bastrika would not be something that I would teach to older adults. Now, there are always exceptions. You know, if somebody has been standing on their head every day of their life since they were five years old and they're 80 now, I'm not going to be the one to tell them not to do it. That might be fine for that person. We're mostly targeting when we talk to yoga teachers and yoga therapists who come to our training is people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s who walk into a yoga class because they hear that yoga is really great for them or their doctor told them to try yoga and the fact of it is many people are deconditioned most people have chronic conditions many medications the average 75 year old has three chronic conditions and is taking five medications and the medications alone can be a risk factor for dizziness for so many other things so to recognize that that person walking in the door why are they coming what do they want and typically they want to feel better. They want to function better. They want to be able to get down on the floor and play with their grandchildren. They want to be able to keep driving, be able to turn their head comfortably so they can stay behind the wheel. They are less concerned about 
a yoga abs and yoga butt. Yeah, everybody wants to look better, but they're much more interested in how they feel and how they function. And that's what the practice can offer. And it does not have to be crazy pretzel poses and party poses. We can really offer them so much with our toolkit of postures, breathing, meditation, and then again, the principles of learning how. It's not just what you do, but how you do it. Beautifully said. To summarize that, I think when I look at my aging parents, they just want to maintain their independence for as long as possible. Like you said, be able to drive, get to the grocery store. And if we could promise that this might help with that, I think they'd be all in. Oh, amen. One of my early students was my mother, who's been gone now for 10 years, was not at all interested in physical activity. She only took that yoga class because I taught it. And it really was amazing, the experience of being able to offer that to her. When I first started teaching at the independent living facility, we always offered the class with a chair and the floor, and people can either start on the floor or sit in the chair if they can't get down and up from the floor. And she said, well, I'm going to sit in the chair. I'm not getting down and up from the floor. I'm, you know, 82 years old. I said, fine, Mom, that's great. And then Esther, who was older than her, walked in and plopped down on the floor. And after a couple of weeks, my mother said, you know, show me how to get down on a floor using the chair. So I did, because she wanted to do Shavasana on the floor. She didn't find Shavasana in the chair comfortable. And she was visiting my uncle in Florida at one point and went, borrowed his car to go to Rich Game and was walking across, fortunately it was grass, and she fell. And there was nobody around and she fortunately didn't break anything because she had pretty severe osteoporosis and had falls and had broken things before. There was nobody around and she was terrified and she didn't know how to get up. And she said, well, what would Carol do? Well, Carol would say, mom, breathe. And then she said, I do this in yoga every week. So she rolled to her side. She walked hands and knees over back to the car bumper and she pulled herself up and she went on her way. So just teaching people how to get down and up from the floor can be an important life skill that we can offer. And in my mother's last days, we did breathing practice in the ICU, and it was very hard, but it was also very profound. Leading to that last excellent. Yeah. yeah. Well, Carol, thank you for being so generous today with all of this knowledge. I feel like anyone listening that has any hope of working with seniors might be interested in joining you and your co-director, Kimberly Carson. And I understand you and Kimberly used to work at Duke together, but now Kimberly has moved to the Oregon University of Health Sciences, but you're still running the program together, it sounds like. That's correct. We still offer the training. We're doing it again right after Thanksgiving, first week in December. We're offering it again at Duke. So she and I are still partnered up and medical journal articles together. We have a book, Relax into Yoga for Seniors and DVD. And Kimberly is a very skilled meditation teacher. She and her husband, Jim, have done quite a bit of research looking into the impact of mindfulness and yoga on numerous health conditions. So she's a very talented and skilled professional. I'm very delighted that we've been able to create this program together and share it. 
Thank you for being with us, Carol. It was an honor and a pleasure to get to know more about you and your work and all the people you've helped over many, many decades through your own passion and following your heart. That was really inspiring. Well, thank you, Amy, for the opportunity. I'm really grateful to you and for all the work that you do. I've learned so much listening to your podcast, and I'm delighted to be able to share what I know with your listeners. Thank you. I'd like to have a hearty thank you to Carol and also to her colleague, Kimberly Carson, for starting this Yoga for Seniors program at a major medical center in Durham, North Carolina, Duke University. It's really wonderful to see not only programs like this happening out there, but also to see the research. Carol has been involved in many research studies, and the one that I wanted to show you was one that she had mentioned, and if you're watching this on YouTube, you can actually see it. It's called Relax Into Yoga for Seniors, an evidence-informed update for enhancing yoga practice benefits by reducing risk in a uniquely vulnerable age group. And basically this open access paper, if you will, I can put in the show notes, the citation for it so you can find it. It's really about how to make sure that you're teaching safely, what are the modifications that you should or shouldn't have, and how to teach yoga for seniors in a way that would be okay in a Western medical setting. So this is a lovely article. She also has some others that she has published with co-authors, but this is the newest and the latest one. And I just wanted to make sure you could get your hands on that because many of you might, if you're a yoga teacher, consider becoming a yoga therapist so that you feel more qualified to work in settings like this. Or it's possible that you want to try to start a yoga program or yoga therapy program in a hospital or Western medical setting. I think using Carol's template of how she went about it and how she grew it organically and learned from the feedback loop at every step I think that's much more realistic than just thinking that we're going to step into a big time job that's full time with healthcare benefits. I think it's going to be something usually where we kind of grow with the program over time, get people to buy in, get administration to buy in. And then over time, maybe something as wonderful as happened for both Carol and Kimberly could happen to one of us. So thank you for listening today or watching today. It's been my pleasure to be with you and Carol, and I look forward to hearing any feedback. Some of you may not know this, but we do have a Facebook group called the Yoga Therapy Hour Discussion Group that we would love to hear your comments and thoughts. You can also leave hopefully positive messages on wherever you listen to your podcast, like if you go to Apple Podcasts, there's a place to kind of leave us a note and let us know how you're enjoying the podcast. You could also become a Patreon member, which allows you to have first access to all of the video versions of the podcast before we put them over on YouTube a few months later. So if you want to have first access to things that maybe other people can't get their hands on right away, you can always join us on Patreon. And that is the Optimal State and Yoga Therapy Hour podcast on Patreon. 
Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.